There we go. Well, good morning to everybody. Uh, it's good to see you guys, um, Pastor Doug and Nicholson family. It's good to have you back. Hope and pray you were refreshed by your time with your family. And then Pastor Jim and Miss Kathy, I know you guys were away as well uh, with family. So thankful for the time that the Lord gives us uh, with our families. And also want to praise God this morning. Uh, our daughter Callie arrived safely there in Nandola, uh, Zambia. So continue to pray for her. She's on mission with the Lord. And and then Ari thought about you of been over 15 years that God used you here in the life of Everglades as far as uh, the music ministry here. So, so many things that we can praise God for. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the word. Father, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the preaching, the teaching of your word today, God, we do come with thankful hearts. You've been gracious. You've been good. You've been compassionate. You've been kind to us. God, in your grace, you gave us the health to be able to be here today. For many of us here, God, you have granted the gift of salvation. You have forgiven us of our sin through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we praise you and we thank you for that. Father, I do thank you for our pastors. Thank you for Pastor Doug. Thank you for Pastor Jim. Just the blessing uh, that they are to us. And thank you for their families. And I'm glad they were able to have some time away and just to be encouraged and, and refresh God by you and by extended family. Father, I thank you this morning for John and Ari. Lord, just missionaries that we love and just the connection uh, that we have with them. And, and Father, I do praise and thank you that uh, our daughter Callie arrived safely on the mission field and pray for her and her team that you'll be glorified through the work that you've called them to. And Father, now as we open up the bread of life, the words of life, God, would you make us attentive? God, open up our hearts, open up our ears, that we would receive your word, and that your word today will accomplish, God, what you set it out to accomplish. And it's in the wonderful name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. So go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, this is kind of the second part of the messages from last week and this week entitled the compassion of jesus the compassion of jesus you know this passage is going to deal with jesus feeding uh, four thousand men ultimately thousands of men women boys and girls when they were hungry and so when I thought about hunger, I looked up some facts before we get into the word. 17% of the world's population is undernourished. One billion people. So there's a little over 8 billion people, I believe, in our world today. One billion people live in extreme poverty. Hunger is the cause of 45% of all of children's deaths around the world. Think about that. One out of every two children that die 
is because of hunger. One-fourth of India is undernourished. You know, we hear those stats, and maybe it's hard for us to really grab our, our minds around that, but I pray today, my aim, my hope, my, my focus is that as we see the divine compassion of Jesus as he ministers to these people in need in the passage we're going to look at, may we have that same compassion to the needs of people right here locally around us, as well as the needs around the world. And not just the physical needs, right? The other stat that Pastor Tom has shared many times, 10 out of 10 people die. And the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once, and after this is the judgment. So every man, woman, boy, and girl will stand before a holy God, and they will give an account. And we know from Scripture there's only one way to be saved, to be rescued from our sin, and it's through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's to turn from our sin and to put our faith and trust in Him alone. And so we have a responsibility as Christians to go out into all the world and to make disciples, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Even having John and Ari with us here today as they are missionaries to, J to Japan is a reminder of that calling, the commandment, the responsibility that people can only be saved through faith in Jesus. So Everglades Baptist Church, there is still work to be done. Amen? God has used this church for the last 15, 20 years, but there is still work to be done for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. And so let's go now to Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him. And he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, well, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dal Dalmanuthia. All right, let's look at verse 1. When you go back to the first verse there, it says, When again a great crowd had gathered. Now, one thing I want to make clear on the front end, this is not the feeding of the 5,000. This is a completely different event. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little later. But 
If you remember from last week, Jesus had gone to this Gentile region of Decapolis. And this was a place where he had been before the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. And he had ministered the gospel. And that man had been basically the first missionary to that area. He comes back. And he begins to heal. He begins to preach. And he begins to teach. And as the text says... For three whole days, he's ministering the gospel to them. And I want you to go to Matthew 15, just for context again. We read this last week. But this great crowd that had gathered again, and Jesus at this point, it's the second year of his ministry. The crowds are gathering wherever he goes. And even in this Gentile region, a great crowd has gathered. So Matthew chapter 15, if you'll turn to verses 29 through 31. You know, many times in the gospel, you'll have two, three different accounts of the same you know, work, ministry, miracle of Jesus. And so this is kind of the parallel account uh, to the gospel of Mark. So in Matthew 15, 29, it says, Jesus went on from there. He walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up. On the mountain, and he sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Think about that. All of these needs put before Jesus, and he's healing them. I mean, this could have been hundreds, this could have been thousands. This was. A mighty work of God, a mighty work of compassion, a mighty work of love that Jesus is healing all these people. And then in verse 31, so the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking and the blind seeing. And look at what happens. This Gentile audience, they glorify the God of Israel. This is a mighty work of God. The gospel's going forth. And we talked about last week that Jesus healed the man that was mute, that had the speech impediment, and how he lovingly touched his mouth and his ears to make him well. And so now we continue on in the passage as this great crowd has gathered, and Jesus is going to meet another need that they have. Look back in Mark, back to chapter 8. So we looked at verse 1 there. They have nothing to eat. Jesus has called his disciples to him. And look now at verse 2. It says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from far away. You see, this region of Decapolis was a region of ten cities. They're uh, basically the southeast uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee. And so people had come from a really uh, long distance to see Jesus. And again, I want you to think about in your own life. When you've gone through things that are very difficult, it may be physical things, mental things, financial things, but the desperation that you feel 
that these thousands of people felt the desperation, the need, the crippled, the lame, the maimed, those that couldn't hear, those that were blind, and they had heard about this man, Jesus, that he was a miracle worker, that he was a healer, and there had never been someone like him before. And for them, this was an opportunity for healing or for someone that they knew to be healed. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, are you that desperate for Jesus? I don't know what you're going through today. It may not be something physical, but your life may be a train wreck. It may be a mess. And Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is loving. And He cares for you, whatever you're going through. And you can come to Him just as these people came. The first truth I want you to see this morning is that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. When you look back there at verse 2, it says, I have compassion. This was very interesting in studying this passage. We know the Bible, all kinds of places, talks about the compassion of God, the compassion of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. But this is the only instance in the Gospels where it's the first person where it's saying, using I, Jesus, I have compassion on the crowd. Now that word compassion there, it literally means, excuse me, to be moved in one's bowels. It's a gut-wrenching wrenching emotion and feeling. It's, it's the deepest from within emotion, sympathy, pity, feelings that you can have for someone else. It literally means to suffer with or to have the deepest feelings of pity and kindness towards those that are hurting. You know, I thought about the Rawls family this week. I know some of you don't know who they are, but for those of us at OCA, we teach uh, their daughter. And Billy Joe Rawls, only 47 years old, same age as myself, he went on to be with his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he was battling cancer and he died this week. And you know, Pastor Doug being there a couple of times with that family, it's, you know, as a Christian, you, you feel just the weight of what they're going through. And there's just that gut-wrenching of thinking about Crystal, his wife, and thinking about Paisley, his daughter, and that everything in their life is about to change. And does that bother us? Do we care? Are we concerned? And I'm not just talking about their situation, but you can fill in the blank. You can think about our brother Robert who just lost a brother. Think about my wife Mandy as her dad has lung cancer right now. And we could go on and on, right? Do we really care? Do we have compassion? Do we hurt with people that are hurting? Jesus had compassion on this crowd. Because you see, our God is a compassionate God. We don't have time to, to turn there, but I want to read some passages. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's when God revealed Himself to Moses. 
Psalms 147.3, our God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He bandages them. He, he touches them. He ministers to whatever their wounds are. And then in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. Think about that. He comforts us in all of our affliction. And then I want you to really listen to what it says. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Christian today, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, as God has comforted you from whatever you have gone through in your life, extend that same comfort, that same compassion to others that are in need. So the application this morning, do we have compassion for the needs of people around us? Divine compassion marked the life of Jesus, and it should be true of our lives as well. Now let's go back to the text there in Mark chapter 8. We've seen the compassion of Jesus. He doesn't want to send these people away because they may faint from their hunger. And I want you to think again. Think about their desperation for Jesus there in verses 1 through 3. This is a Gentile audience. I don't know all of their heart motives. I don't know how many were genuine. I don't know how many came to faith in Christ. But if you're willing to stay in one place for three days, basically without any food besides whatever they had brought on the front end, for three days because you want to be near Jesus, you want to be touched by Jesus, you want to hear what Jesus says because you understand He's your only hope, there was a desperation in that crowd and we need that same kind of desperation in our lives. Of every moment of every day, we're completely dependent upon Jesus. And apart from Him, we have no hope in our life. But we as Americans can be so caught up in all of our material things, all of our gadgets, all of our food, all of our resources, that we think that we're going to be just fine and dandy all by ourselves. And it's not true. It's not true. We need Christ. Now look at verse 4. It says in his disciples, they answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Again, this was a, a region that was pretty large. Not a lot of places around to go and and get food. It was probably during the summertime. Uh, so it's it's a dry, it's a desolate place. And uh, again, this should ring familiar to Mark chapter 6, right? We've already seen Jesus feed 5,000 there, but it was a different location. That was in Bethsaida, which was more of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. This is the southern southeastern part of Galilee. Now, you need to understand this, because as I studied this, some were some scholars believe it's, it's the same thing, just different details. But these are two different accounts, okay? 5,000, 4,000. Here are some of the differences. We don't have time to go back and forth. 
But you can go back to Mark 6 and study it for yourself. The first time, and this is really important, the first time Jesus was ministering to Jews, it was a Jewish audience mainly. This time, it's mainly a Gentile audience. Jesus, we'll talk more about this, he's teaching and training his disciples the gospel really is for the nations. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jew and Gentile. The location is different. Bethsaida versus Decapolis. The number of men present, 5,000 versus 4,000. And if you go to the account in Matthew, it, it does say 4,000 men. And so then in addition to that, you've got the women, boys and girls. We don't have the exact number. The length of time with the crowd was different. One day versus three days. The number of loaves of bread was different. Five loaves versus in this one, seven loaves. The number of fish. The first time there was two fish. This time it says there are a few small fish. By the way, even the type of fish was different. When you go to the first account, it was the general term for fish. When you go to this account, the Greek word that's used is for small fish, probably sardines. So if you like sardines, not a big fan myself, that's probably what it was. These little sardine sandwiches. The leftovers were different. The first time, check this out, even the basket size was different. First time, 12 small baskets. This time, seven large baskets of leftovers. And by the way, if you don't think they're different, you can go to Mark chapter 8, 18 through 20, and Jesus himself says it's two different accounts. Okay? So if Jesus says it's two different accounts, if we're not willing to accept that, then you're basically calling Jesus a liar. And I, for one, am surely not going to do that. So these are two different accounts of Jesus feeding a crowd. Now, that leads to our second truth this morning. Not only is Jesus compassionate, but he's training and equipping his disciples for ministry. He's training and equipping his disciples for ministry. When you look back at verse 1, it says he called his disciples to him. They had been in this Gentile region for several months now. First year of his ministry, he had taken them to the Jews. Second year of his ministry, he's taking them to the Gentiles. There's a reason why Jesus is doing that. His disciples were Jewish and they needed to understand the gospel was for all people. For our, our youth that have been learning how to study the Bible inductively, that little phrase, his disciples, is mentioned four times in this passage. Verse 1, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 10. Okay, Jesus is equipping the disciples. They are with him. He's preparing them, John and Ari, for the great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 4. Sorry, my pages are flipping around here. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him. So again, his disciples are there. We already looked at this. There's this question. How's one going to feed all these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, these disciples are going to have to wrestle again with how are we going to get food for all these people? I mean, humanly speaking, this is impossible 
Now, does this mean that somehow the disciples forgot what Jesus had done just a few months before? I would say not. Okay, I don't think they had amnesia. I don't think they had forgotten that Jesus had already fed the 5,000. But we got a new situation, a new context, and as I thought about it, how many times do we find ourselves struggling with the same doubts, the same fears, the same unbelief, and the same struggles in life. If you are anything like me, you can fill in that blank with hundreds of times. We've seen God work. We've seen God move. We've seen God provide. And yet we find ourselves in a new situation and we struggle to believe that God is going to do it again. Amen? We lack faith. We struggle in the midst of our circumstances. So I think that is a part of this. The disciples are going to have to wrestle and struggle again with what it looks like for them to trust Jesus, to obey him, and to believe that he is going to provide because he's the only one that can. Now, here's another thing that I think is important to this. Because if you're like, well, surely, I mean, they've already seen Jesus do it once. Why would they be questioning that Jesus could do it again? The first time Jesus did it, it was to the Jews. This time, it's a Gentile audience. It's one thing for Jesus to heal the Gentile, but to provide a meal for them, that they were actually going to eat with Gentiles for the Jews of that time this was like unlawful I mean this is a big deal like whatever prejudices they would have had in their hearts as disciples they're going to have to wrestle through with all of that is Jesus really going to show compassion and love and feed this Gentile audience so that would have been going on in their hearts as well. If you don't think that's a big deal, you can go, you don't have time this morning, but Ephesians chapter 2, that wall of hostility, you can read the book of Galatians. I mean, this Jew-Gentile separation and struggle of the life of the early church was a really big deal. Of the Gentiles being grafted in. Peter struggled with it. I mean, there's so many places we could go to. This was a big deal. So MacArthur, he put it this way. They're not doubting Jesus' power per se, but they may be doubting his purpose. Would he really do this for a bunch of Gentiles? Now look at verse 5. Moving on in the text. So Jesus, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? So he's beginning the process here of how he's going to feed and they say, well, we've got seven. Verse 6, he then directs the crowd to sit down on the ground. He takes the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So he gives a blessing of thankfulness. And also, this would have been to point everybody that this was going to be the Lord God Almighty of heaven creator of the heavens and the earth is going to be the one that provides for this meal. 
And so now they begin to set the bread before the crowd. Then verse 7. They've got a few small fish. Having blessed them. So there's this blessing over the fish. He said that these also should be set before them. I want you to think about this. As I was studying this, number one, only Jesus could do this, guys. I mean, you got thousands of people, you got seven loaves of bread, you got a few small fish. Unless God creates new, there's not going to be enough. You know, I was listening to John MacArthur as he was preaching about this, and he said, basically, Jesus was making dead fish. <laughs> making dead fish. Now, all, all of these fish were going to be made for these people to eat. That's powerful. Like, we read that, and it's just so easy for us just to read over that. He's basically creating out of nothing. That should take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Only our God can do that. This was supernatural. This was miraculous. Now, application. Jesus could have easily fed and served this crowd by himself. But what does he do? He includes the disciples in the process. He chooses to work through his people to advance the gospel, to build his kingdom, to meet the needs of people around us. Hear me this morning. Jesus doesn't need us, but Jesus chooses to use his people for the furtherance of the gospel. We're completely dependent upon him but hear me say, it's hard work. There's a sacrifice. We've got to trust the Lord, but we also have to obey the Lord and what he calls us to do. John Phillips said it this way, the disciples could not multiply loaves and fish, but they could serve the hungry multitudes. We can no more save souls than we can create stars, but we can convey the gospel to those around us, right? We don't save somebody. We don't win somebody to Jesus. But do we have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with them? Absolutely. God's commanded us. He's called us to do so. So we see this training, this equipping of the disciples. And now for the third truth this morning. There in verse 8. Jesus satisfies the needs of the people fully. Jesus satisfies the needs of the people fully. Look at verse 8. And they ate and were satisfied. Three days they had basically gone with food, but they are able to eat in a way where they're like, no more. We're good. We're completely full. We're satisfied. It's kind of like when an animal has their grain, their fodder, and they're, they're to the point of, we're good. We have everything that we need. You see, when Jesus meets a need, he meets it to the full. Fully satisfied. Fully content. 
And then as you go on in verse 8, they take up the broken pieces that are left over. And there were seven baskets full. Leftovers. Now we don't know exactly what the leftovers are going to be used for, but Jesus makes sure that they're collected. And the use of the number seven, we don't know exactly, but we know that seven in the Bible means fullness. It means completion. So it's probably just pointing us to Jesus completely provides for this need. And maybe these leftovers are sent with the crowd as they go their different ways for later on in their journey. The text just doesn't say. But he collects the leftovers. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Matthew 5, 25 and 26. And I want you to think about how Jesus meets our needs. Because again, if you're anything like me, you struggle with worry, you, string, you struggle with anxiety. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, 25 and 26. Reading that passage, I was like, no, nah, it's not the one I was looking for. Matthew chapter 6, 25 and 26. Therefore I tell you, do not. So Jesus is commanding us here. Be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Does Jesus not feed the birds every day? I mean, do you not hear the birds this, this morning? They're good. God's got them. And if that's not enough, if Jesus has the power and the ability to feed thousands of people with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, I don't care what your need is this morning. Jesus can take care of your need. Amen? But again, if you're anything like me, you can struggle in what it looks like to trust the Lord and not worry. Look at John chapter 6. Pastor Jim read earlier. John 6, 35 through 37. This is actually after the feeding of the 5,000. The context here of John 6. And he says this. John 6, 35 through 37. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. You see, this is more than physical food. This is the spiritual food that can only satisfy and nourish the soul. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Unbeliever this morning, if you're not in the faith, and God's calling you, He's convicting, He's drawing you, will you come? Will you come to Jesus this morning to be set free from the penalty and the power of your sin? The wrath of God abides on you of a holy God that will judge you and your sin. 
But you can be set free. You can be forgiven. Jesus died on the cross to rescue His people from their sin. He paid the penalty on your behalf. Three days later, He resurrected in that when you look to Christ, you come to Christ, you're set free, you're forgiven, you're made new, and you have eternal life. Will you come this morning? Look at what it says in verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, this is more than just the feeding of a, a crowd of physical need. This is about Jesus Christ nourishing your soul. The bread of life. I mean, there's so much that can be said here, Stephen. I know you like to really dig in and study. Jesus was born where, guys? Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? The house of bread. Jesus says he's the bread of life. Think about it at the end of his life, of the, the last supper before his crucifixion. What does he do? He's, he breaks bread. And he says, this is a, a symbol of, of me. This represents me and my body's going to be broken for you. I mean, all of this is pointing us to Jesus. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all of your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Are you satisfied in Christ today? Only He can satisfy you. Alright, let's finish up the text. Back to Mark. Back to Mark chapter 8. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus finishes up here. He says there were about 4,000 people and he sends them away. So it's now time for Jesus to move on. Where is he going? Verse 10. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples there at the Sea of Galilee and they go back over to more of a, a Jewish territory. They go to the district of Dalmatia, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, also, it's known as the land of Magadha uh, when you read the gospel of Matthew. So we're, we're transitioning now. Jesus has ministered to the Jews. He's ministered to the Gentiles. And we're going to begin to transition to his last year of public ministry as he's heading back more to a Jewish region. But again, he had trained and equipped these disciples for several months in this Gentile region that the gospel is for all people. So here's the takeaway for us today. True compassion reaches out and touches people in their time of need. There's probably somebody in your life right now that Jesus would have you to minister to. For young people here, it may be a brother, maybe a sister. For all of us, it may be a family member, it may be a co-worker, it may be a neighbor. Jesus had compassion on Jew and Gentile alike, right? Every tribe, tongue, and nation. doesn't matter where people are from. Chimo, I thought about this. See you back there. You know, we're all caught up, right, in our world today. This CRT, this intersectionality stuff. It's just all human garbage. Chimo, you're Puerto Rican, right? I was born in North Carolina. You know what? I love my brother. Why? Because we're in Christ. That's why. Israel, Hispanic, 
Guess what? He loves me. I love him. Why? Because we're in Christ. We've been changed by the gospel of Christ. The love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, it wells up from within so that the great commandment is fulfilled. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. John and I are ministering to the Japanese culture. Why? Because they love Christ. We're all made in the image of God. I've been to Cambodia, and you know what? We love one another in Cambodia. Why? Because they were in Christ. I was in Christ. They're made in the image of God. I've been to Thailand. I've been to the Dominican. Minister to Dominicans and Haitians. You know the common bond that we all had? We're in Christ. Jesus was making this clear to the disciples. The gospel is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. I don't need any human philosophy to tell me that. All we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Everglades Baptist Church, don't you ever stray away from that. I'm so surprised, I'm so amazed, it's so saddening that so many of our churches are being filled up with human philosophy and garbage. We have the word. What else do we need? What is any human being going to tell you that's greater than the Bible? Nothing. Who's the smartest? God, who has all knowledge, all wisdom, all authority, all love, all truth. God. Everglades, don't get caught up in that stuff. We love people because we've been first loved by Jesus. 1 John 3.16. This is what we'll finish with. Sorry to get passionate about that, but I'm telling you, it's, it's destroying our churches right here in American culture. It's killing us. 1 John 3.16. The love and truth of Jesus is enough. By the way, it's destroying Southern Baptist life. This is one of the big deals right now in our own convention. 1 John 3.16. By this... We know love. I want you to think about those words. How do you know what love is? That He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. The first thing is you need Christ. He laid down His life to rescue us from our sin. And then look at what it says. And we ought... To lay down our lives for the brothers. Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus is alive in us. We've been set free. We now lay our lives down for one another. Amen? It doesn't matter where anybody's from. So may Everglades Baptist Church always be a church that is welcoming to all. And may we be a church that goes to all. To every tribe, tongue, and nation. nation just as Jesus was teaching his disciples there in Mark chapter 8. Let's pray together. Jesus, we desperately need you. Our hearts are so sinful. We can so easily stray from the truth, the sufficiency, the authority of your word. Jesus, you are compassionate. God, you are love. And we're only able to love because you first loved us.
And then you tell us to lay down our lives for the furtherance of the gospel for one another. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. Thank you for the work of Jesus that changes us from the inside out. God, help us to not be lazy. Help us to not get complacent. God, help us to not get caught up in just all of the social media and the worldly philosophies and all the garbage that's out there. Jesus, we need to keep our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And just as you met the need of that hour there in Mark chapter 8, Jesus, you will meet the need of our, our hour. Our church, the universal church, all we need today is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency and the truth of your word. Father, may we stand on that. May the missionaries that we support stand on that. And may we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I pray for my sister churches that they would stand on that. God, I pray that you would bring revival. Bring us to an end of ourselves. God, bring true repentance. That we would turn from our wicked ways. We would turn from our rebellion. We would turn from any thought that God is not of you. God, I pray for the Southern Baptist Convention. May, may they turn from the wickedness that's from within. The lies of the evil one. May we see the all-sufficiency of your word and may we lock arms together to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then, Father, I pray this morning that there is one that has not experienced today the love of Christ. Really, they already have. They just don't understand it. God, that they would turn from their sin, that, God, you would bring them to life, grant them repentance and faith, Pray that they would look to Christ today and live. And we ask all these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Well, let's stand and let's worship our Lord together through song. We're going to close out our time with being thankful. Let's sing, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. <laughs>